The title of my message should be very familiar to those of you who attend our church. It's our mission statement. You find it in your bulletin every week. If you don't read your bulletin, it won't be familiar. I'm not going to ask you how many read your bulletin. You should read your bulletin. Proclaiming Jesus, that all may follow Him. We read from John chapter 1. I'm going to pick up at verse 35 as we kind of follow through this whole event of John the Baptist pointing others to Jesus. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? That Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open our eyes to see who Jesus is and why we ought to proclaim him to those who need a Savior. In your name we ask. Amen. There was a young minister who was just starting out in ministry. And he was talking to an older pastor in London. And he said to him, you have a great deal of experience. You know so many things that I don't know. Could you give me some good advice? And the old pastor said, yes, I will give you a piece of advice. He said, you know that in every town in England, No matter how small, you will find a road. If you take it, it will lead you to London. In the same way, every text which you choose to preach from in the Bible will have a road that leads to Jesus. 
Be sure you find that road and follow it. Be careful not to miss it once. Wow, that is great advice, isn't it? There is a road. In every passage of Scripture that will lead you to Jesus, make sure you find it. Take that road. Don't miss it once. If there was ever a preacher who made this his practice, it was John the Baptist. The picture I have of him is standing with his disciples and Jesus comes along and he is pointing them to Jesus. That, that's the, the, if there was ever a statue made of John the Baptist, he would have his finger pointed to Jesus because that was his ministry, pointing people to Jesus. Every message he preached was a message about Jesus. He was the forerunner of Christ, making ready the way of the Lord. And I would suggest to you that as a congregation, this is the same challenge that we have. We are not here to proclaim ourselves or to proclaim Grace Free Lutheran Church. We are here to proclaim Jesus. And if you need some reasons, I'm going to give you four of them this morning as we look at our text. Four ways in which Jesus is described that tell us what He has come to do for us. Notice, first of all, Jesus is the Lamb of God who forgives us. With their knowledge of the Old Testament, these disciples of John the Baptist, they would have clearly understood what Jesus meant when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. They would have known that a lamb was a substitutionary sacrifice because a lamb in the Old Testament died in the place of another. And we could... We could spend all morning looking at how that is seen in the Old Testament. But let me just give you some examples. We, we turn to Genesis chapter 22 and we find Abraham taking Isaac to Mount Moriah. Remember that story? And Isaac, they get there, they had the wood and the fire. And then Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the lamb? Remember what Abraham said? God will provide for himself the lamb. And sure enough, there was a ram that was caught in the, the, the thicket. And that ram was offered as a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. There was the substitute. We think of the Passover celebration. Remember, the blood had to be applied to the doorposts of the home. And the angel, when the death angel came, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Why? Because that lamb died as a substitute in the place of people. And then there's the prophecy, Isaiah chapter 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So when John tells these disciples, Peter and John, when he tells them, excuse me, Andrew and John, when he tells them he is the Lamb of God, they knew exactly what he meant. He was the culmination of all the Old Testament prophecies that pointed forward to the final sacrifice, the one given once and for all, 
And verse 29 of John chapter 1 says, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love that phrase, takes away, because that reminds us of so many uh, pictures of what happens when we confess our sin, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed. He's taken away our transgressions. Micah chapter 7, drowned in the depths of the sea, right? Gone. A Bible camp song years ago, gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Any of you remember that? You young people, you don't remember that. If you're my age or older, you remember that one, right? Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me, right? And no fishing sign put up, right? When they're buried in the depths of the sea, they're gone. How about the Day of Atonement? There was those two goats. One was sacrificed as a picture of our sins being paid for. And then you had the scapegoat, right? Sent off into the wilderness, picturing again that he, he takes our sins away. That's what Jesus did. He is the Lamb of God who forgives us, who takes our, our sins away. Andrew and John heard this, and verse 37 says that they began to follow Jesus. And what's interesting to notice is that Jesus turned in verse 38, saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? Now, I think that's an important question, isn't it? A question that they needed to ponder because there were many different motives of people following Jesus, right? We know that. Some were following him because of money. You think of Judas, right? He was in it for what he could get for himself. Or we think of how many followed him because of the signs they saw. You know, do another miracle. Let's see some other sign from heaven. Some followed Jesus to fill their belly. Remember after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, you're not following me because of the sign. You just want your stomach full. And then others followed Jesus because they figured he would overthrow the Roman government and this great political king would, would set them free. So before these men committed themselves to follow him, Jesus said, I want to know, why are you following me? What is it that you seek? How would you answer that question if Jesus asked you, why are you following me? Why are you following me? Do we follow Jesus just to, to get the blessings that He gives us? We're just looking for Him to you know, satisfy all our needs and whatever we pray for, He'll answer? Or is it out of gratitude for what He's done for us on the cross, that He was the Lamb that was slain for us? He paid the price for us. And how could we do anything less than to say, Lord, I want to follow You. I want to serve You. After all that you've done for me. Now, Bruce Milne says, although on the surface, this is a simple question, what do you seek? He says it has deeper implications. Sooner or later, when we begin to take Jesus seriously, we face the same question. What do we really want from him? I hope that what you really want from him is the thing you need the most. Forgiveness, salvation, the wages of sin is death. And that's why we need the Lamb. We need Jesus. And so when we proclaim Jesus, we proclaim Him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's the greatest need in our world today, for people to be forgiven of their sin. 
So we proclaim Jesus as the Lamb who forgives us. Secondly, Jesus is also the Messiah who transforms us. When Andrew and John first met Jesus, they called Him Rabbi, which means teacher. But verse 39 says that they stayed with Jesus that day. And time with Jesus had an impact on their lives because Andrew went out and he said to Peter, We've found the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that the Old Testament pointed forward to. We have found the Messiah. I love what Jesus said to Peter in verse 42, because it illustrates what Jesus was going to do for this man. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, as we read through the Gospels, we see what Peter was like when he first met Jesus. He was an interesting man, wasn't he? Uh, He was impetuous. He was self-confident. He was proud. He was the one who always acted first and spoke first. Sometimes without thinking. I don't know if any of you do that, but I've done that before. He compared himself to the rest of Jesus' disciples. And guess where he figured he came out? He was the one that came out on top, right? Because he said, Lord, you know, everyone else will thank you. Not me. Not me. I'm the most committed, the most dedicated disciple. You are lucky to have me, Jesus. I hope you understand that. That was kind of the attitude of, of Peter. Reminds me of a man that I played baseball with in college. We called him the topper. Because any story that anyone told, he always had something better. And so they started calling him the topper. Peter was the topper, right? He was the one that was much better than than all the disciples. But you know what? When testing came, Peter realized just how weak he was. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I won't deny you. And sure enough, he did. But Jesus told Peter that he was going to change him. He said, you are Simon. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, Cephas is an Aramaic name that means rock. And Peter is a Greek name that also means rock rock. So Jesus is saying to Peter, I am going to make you into a rock. My name is Peter. I hope I'm not rock headed, (laughs) but I pray God make me stable. Make me like Peter, one who is willing to stand for truth when it might be difficult to do so. You go to Acts chapter four, you see an example of Peter doing that. He was warned with John not to preach any more about Jesus. That's just like saying sickum to Peter when he was filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 says, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Now, that's a good way to say it. Eh? Who do you want me to follow? Do you want me to follow you or to God? And he says, For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
So think of the change in this man. From a man who denied he even knew Jesus to a man who said, I am not going to stop. You can't stop me. I will continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. What an amazing transformation. You think Jesus can transform your life like that? Can He change you like He changed Peter? Jesus sees what we are, right? He knows what we are, but He also sees what we will be as we follow Him. The change that Jesus makes as we continue to follow Him. He sees what we are, but He also sees what we will be. He forgives us and He transforms us. He changes us. And that is a lifelong process, but it begins when we put our trust in Him. And when you put your trust in Him, get ready. God is going to do some significant things in your life. And you'll look back and say, here's what I used to be, but by the grace of God, He has changed me. That was Peter in a marvelous, wonderful way. Notice thirdly, Jesus is also the Son of God who knows us. He knows us. Look at verse 43. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip went and immediately found Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, when he said Nazareth, that just kind of thought, oh, wait a minute now. What does Nathaniel think about that? He was not easily persuaded. A little skeptical about Nazareth. And so he said to Philip, do you think anything can good come out of Nazareth? Now, I don't know what town we'd compare that to today. Maybe in your mind some way out back hick town that, are you kidding me, out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, how would you have responded if you were Philip? Would you have gotten in an argument? Would you say you don't know nothing? You don't know anything? huh? Philip responded in the best way possible. Come and see. Come and see. Don't, uh, don't uh, badmouth this Jesus until you come and see. Best way he could have responded, because that's what witnessing is all about, isn't it? It is inviting Jesus, uh, people to come and see Jesus. Don't uh, turn away from him until you realize who he is. And so that's what witnessing is. It is pointing people to Jesus. So Nathaniel comes to Jesus and he receives, I suppose, the shock of his life. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? How do you know me, Jesus? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you. You were under the fig tree. And Nathanael answered him and said, You are the Son of God. Why did Nathanael say that? They had never met before. How did Jesus know all this? How did you know about me? How did you see me under the fig tree when, before Philip called me? He understood that this, this, this Jesus was no ordinary man. 
Nathaniel said, you are the Son of God. Have you ever thought about what it means that Jesus knows you? He knows your character. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows where you have been. And He knows where you're going, right? Because nothing is hidden from His eyes. And that in itself is an evidence that He is God in human flesh. And Nathaniel recognized that. You are the Son of God. In one sense, that's a warning to us, right? If we're living in sin and we don't think the Lord knows it, He sees everything, right? When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. When you were doing this, I saw you. (laughs) When you were thinking this, I knew what you were thinking. He knows everything about us. And that ought to be a deterrent in our lives to following down a pathway we ought not to be traveling. But it's also a great encouragement. When we are facing the trials and troubles of life, Jesus knows about it. We don't face those trials and troubles alone. He knows. He knows. So Jesus is the Son of God who knows us. And then a final title given to Jesus is this title, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man who saves us. So when Jesus told Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree, Nathanael was amazed, but Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) That's my paraphrase, of course. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. This is just the start, Nathaniel. You will see greater things than these. And then verse 51, he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if you have background in the book of Genesis, you probably say to yourself, now that sounds a little bit familiar, because it should. Most Bible students believe that Jesus is reminding Nathanael of what God had done in the life of Jacob. Remember, Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, and he stops at this place, and he's got this stone pillow, and, and there's this dream in Genesis 28. And the dream was that there was this ladder that rose from the earth to heaven. The Lord was standing at the top of the ladder and there were angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And Jacob was given a promise by God. He said, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I won't leave you until I have done what I've promised. And then Jacob said this, Surely, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So that's the background to what Jesus is saying here. And now remember, there was a ladder, and there were angels ascending and descending, and the Lord was at the top of the ladder. Now notice how Jesus describes this event and how he applies it to himself. Verse 51. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So instead of a ladder, the angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that He is the mediator, right? Between God and man. He is the way to the Father. He is the way of salvation. He is the only mediator who takes us to the house of God. Isn't that what Jacob said? This is none other than the house of God. Jacob also said, this is the gate of heaven. What did Jesus say about Himself in John chapter 10, verse 9? I am the gate. I am the door. If anyone comes through me. So Jesus is taking this Old Testament story in the life of Jacob and He's applying it to Himself and He's saying, I am the one that saves you. I am the ladder. I am the mediator. I am the one that puts one hand in Sinful man in one hand in a holy God and saves you, gives you that gift of eternal life. This is why we proclaim Jesus. He is the one who forgives us. He is the one who transforms us. He is the one who knows us. He is the one who saves us. And there is nothing more important for you and I to know, first of all, and then to share. Proclaiming Jesus, that all may follow Him. Mrs. William Booth, the uh, wife of the founder of the Salvation Army. There was a man in her life that, that really made an impression upon her. And as this man grew in the Lord, it, it just seemed like the only thing he could talk about was Jesus. Jesus was so precious to him. And when he was dying, it was discovered that there was a document, an important document that he needed to sign. And so they brought it to him and they sat him up in bed and took the pen and wrote down something on the paper and and fell back in bed and died. He didn't write his own name. He wrote the name of Jesus. (laughs) He wrote Jesus' name because there was nothing more important to him than the name of Jesus. Wow, what a testimony. Is that true of us? What is the name that means more to us than any name? Now, I love the name Judy. She's my wife. But she would say that she loves me too. But the name that she loves most, the name that I love most, is the name of Jesus. And if we love that name, then we need to proclaim that name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Are you proclaiming that name? Shouting it from the housetops, huh? As God gives you opportunity to testify, to witness, like my dad would say, to get a good word in for the Lord, huh? That's our calling. Proclaiming Jesus that all may follow Him. Let's pray. Father, would You help us to proclaim the name of Jesus, 
the one who forgives us and transforms us and knows us and saves us. May that name be precious to us. He is worthy of all of our praise. And He is able to change, to save to the uttermost those who come to Him. Father, help us to open our mouths and to proclaim that precious name that all may follow Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able as we close this morning.